Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and open to the book of Judges chapter 2 once again. Judges chapter 2. We're continuing this morning a message that uh, we began last Sunday morning and a series that we're going to be doing over the course of some weeks uh, studying through the book of Judges. And uh, I covered all of three verses last week. I do expect the the remainder of our series to go a little quicker than that. But in Judges chapter 2, we're going to pick back up in just a few moments with verse number 4. But just to kind of review and to set the context once again, uh, the book of Judges covers a period of time of about 400 years uh, between when the Israelites came into the Promised Land and when King Saul was anointed to be king over Israel. And during that 400-year time period, Israel was in a downward spiritual spiral. They just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And you see that as you read through the book of Judges and as you study through it, uh, the early judges uh, were not that bad guys. Uh, They did a pretty good job. And then as you go further and further along in the book, they get worse and worse until you get finally to the end of the book of Judges and you read a couple of stories that are just, uh, they're really quite horrible to read through. Uh, And one incident in particular that looks a whole lot like the incident in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. And you come away from the book kind of wondering what in the world happened? I mean, these were God's chosen people. They received the law of God from the hand of God there on Mount Sinai, and, and now they've ended up doing the same things that the heathens, the, is the Canaanites had done, for which God had punished them and driven them out. What happened? How did they get to be so bad? Well, the foundation is laid in Judges chapter 1, actually. We're not going to study that right now, uh, but uh, just to summarize... The Israelites failed to fully obey God. God told them, when you go into the promised land, you are to drive out all of the people of the land. Don't leave any of them there. And that was a punishment on those people for being so wicked. They were involved in things like uh, religious prostitution and, and human sacrifice. I mean, it was really bad stuff that they, were, that they were involved in. And God had given them a long time to repent. They wouldn't repent. And so finally, as part of um, uh, the reason that God sent the Israelites in was to, was to punish them for that. And God said, drive them all out because if you leave any of them there, they're going to influence you negatively. They're going to draw you away from the Lord and you'll end up serving their idols and doing the same kinds of things and then God will end up having to punish you just like He's punishing them. They failed to do that. They left certain of the people there. and Judges 1 lists a number of those people groups and cities and tribes that they left. And instead of driving them out, they put them to tribute. They said, you can stay as long as you pay us money. They thought, well, we can, we can, uh, you know, we'll have control over them and uh, we'll be the dominant ones and, and so it'll all be okay. Well, it wasn't. And in chapter number two, the angel of the Lord appears and delivers a message of rebuke to the Israelites. This angel of the Lord was a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
As you notice what he says, he says the word I, uses that pronoun, personal pronoun I, several times referring to things that only God has done, only God can do. And so we know it was the Lord appearing. Uh, therefore, it was the Word of God, the Son of God in the flesh that was appearing to them. And he delivers this message of rebuke. You have not driven out the people like I told you. You did not fully obey. And because you would not obey me, I'm not going to drive them out for you. He said, I'm not going to do for you what you refuse to do in obedience to me. You're going to have to deal with the consequences of your sin. And that is that these people are going to remain in the land and they are going to be a constant source of irritation for you. They're going to be like thorns in your side, like pricks in your eyes. They're going to be there with you, constantly irritating, constantly aggravating, and constantly tempting you. God said, I'm going to leave them there to prove you. Not not prove in the sense of like God was doing an experiment to find out, but rather to reveal what was truly in the hearts of these people. And what you find is that from each generation forward after this, they had to make a decision. Are we going to serve God or are we going to serve idols? Are we going to do what God says is right or are we going to do what we feel like is right? And when you get to the end of the book, and I believe chapters 17 and chapter 21, you find a verse repeated that says there was no king in Israel in those days, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Increasingly, they went further and further into the wickedness and the idolatry that was uh, around them until it got to the point where you could no longer even tell the difference between God's people and the people of the world. We noted last week how that there's a lot of similarity between us as New Testament believers and the Israelites in Judges chapter number 2. We've been delivered. We've been delivered from our sin uh, and the way that God delivered the uh, Israelites from Egypt uh, through the ten plagues and ultimately the Passover is a beautiful picture of our salvation. We've been given clear instructions by God. He's told us exactly what He expects of us. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to question it. We can read for ourselves in the Word of God in the Bible what God expects. We know what God wants from us. And each of us must then make a choice. Am I going to do what God says? Or am I going to do what is right in my own eyes? And we left off last week with this thought that we, each of us, if we don't want to deal with the with the painful consequences of sin, then we must choose to do what is right as God says it. And so this was the message that was delivered to the people. And this morning we're going to look in verse number 4 down through verse number 9. And we're going to see the response of the people, which is the sorrow of the people. Verse number 4, it says, And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. 
And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in timnath Heres, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaash. As we look at these verses today, there's one thought that I want to impress upon you, and that is this. Though our culture and our nation may be going in the wrong direction, it may be spiraling further and further downward, you and I can make a difference for our generation. And it starts as each of us as an individual chooses to serve the Lord. And then as each of us as families decide that we are going to live for God. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help again as we study your word because without the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truth, we will not even be able to understand it, much less be able to put it into practice. So Lord, we beg for your help. Help us to take this message seriously today and help us to do more than moan and complain about the condition of our country. May we choose to stand up for what is right, to do what is right, and to honor you with our testimonies, no matter what anyone else may choose. I pray that every individual and every family here today would choose for themselves to serve you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read in these verses, after the Lord had given this message to the Israelites, the immediate response of the people was one of great sorrow. It says they lifted up their voice and wept. They just received a special message from God, and that message was, you've messed up, you disobeyed, and because of that, you are going to have to deal with the consequences. Now, there's one of two ways that we can respond whenever we are confronted with our sin. And only two ways. Either we respond with repentance or we respond with further rebellion. There is no middle ground. When you are confronted about your sin, be it in your personal Bible reading, be it in a sermon like this and the Holy Spirit deals with your heart, or maybe it's just out of the blue the Holy Spirit impresses upon you that you have sinned against God, you can either repent immediately, or if you do not repent immediately, you are continuing to rebel. I know we like to think that there's kind of a middle ground here. Well, I'll just wait about, I'll wait a little bit. I'll think on this a little bit. No, that is further rebellion. These people, thankfully, made the right choice in the moment because they lifted up their voice and they wept. In fact, it was such a moving time and such a, a momentous occasion that they changed the name of the place where they were. Notice that in verse number 5, they called the name of that place Bokim. The word Bokim means weepers, weepers, criers, mourners, those who were weeping over their sin. It left a very deep impression on all those who witnessed it. And you know, for us, it's really hard to even fathom what it would have been like to have been present when this angel came and delivered this message. It would have left a tremendous impression. And so there was this initial immediate response of sorrow. And there was 
after the repentance as indicated by the genuine sorrow, there was then a rededication of themselves. It says in verse number 5 that they sacrificed there unto the Lord. This sacrifice was a sign of their genuine repentance and also of their genuine desire to make it right and to, and to go forward serving God as they should have been. I, I don't understand why... I, I've met some people over the years that they, they seem to have an aversion to the concept of rededicating one's life to the Lord. I've had someone say to me, I, I, I surrendered to God one time before. Why do I need to do it again? Here's why. Because you're not perfect. None of us are perfect. And as well-meaning as we may have been in the past when we surrendered our life to God, and hopefully we were, and as long as we may have fulfilled that commitment and been living for God, if there comes a point that we sin against God and we go back on that commitment, we need to renew that commitment to the Lord. We need to confess our sin, we need to repent of it, and we need to go back to God and we need to say out loud the words, Lord, I am recommitting myself to serving you. And that's what these people were doing here when they were giving these sacrifices. These were sacrifices that were given to demonstrate that they were determined to do right going forward. Now, I know many times we get discouraged because we make that decision. I'm going to do what is right. And then we turn around and we do wrong again. You ever been there? Or is it just me and the Apostle Paul? Because the Apostle Paul said, the good that I would, that I do not, but the evil that I would not, that I do. Not only is that a tongue twister, it's something that we all identify with. That when we want to do what is right, oftentimes we find ourselves doing what is wrong anyway. Why is that? It's because we still live in a world affected by sin. We still live in a body that's affected by sin, so we, we still have to deal with the temptations. And the truth is that too often we give in to those temptations and we sin against God. We have to be confronted with that sin. Holy Spirit uses various methods to bring that sin to light. And, and we have to respond with repentance. And that should be followed up with a rededication. Say, Lord, from now on, I want to do better. And I'm trusting you to help me do that. I'm not doing it in my own strength. But Lord, this is my desire. You say, but what if I mess up again? Well, then you do it again. Well, what if I mess up a third time? Then you do it again. You know what Proverbs says? A just man falleth seven times and riseth again. You see, it's that rising again part that makes a difference. You're going to fall. Maybe seven times, maybe 70 times, seven times. But what is important is that you confess it, you repent, and you get right with God, and you move forward in victory. That's what these people did. They, rep they repented and they rededicated themselves to the Lord. Now notice verse number 7. Well, verse number 6 in the meantime says that Joshua dismissed the people and they went back every man to his inheritance to possess the land. And by the way, you can look in Joshua 23 and 24 and you see uh, overlap in the story here. Some of the same events are recorded in both places. So they, uh, Joshua dismisses the people. Now they've rededicated themselves to the Lord. They've decided they're going to serve God moving forward. They went back to their lands to begin living their lives as God wanted them to live. And so verse 7 says, The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. 
and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. This is a a striking commentary here because it sets up really what's going to happen from here forward. Joshua and all the elders that lived with him, as long as they were around, influencing the nation, the nation served God. But when they left, when they died, that all changed. Now, we'll look at why that changed at another point in time, but this morning, I want to focus on this fact. I want to focus on the positive aspect of this. And that is that Joshua and all of the people that served with him, they made a positive impact on their generation. All the days that they lived, Israel served God. And I want to say to you this morning, it is possible to make a positive impact on our generation. Some people have a very fatalistic attitude about our culture and about America. This idea, well, you know, it's just, uh, we're done for, you know. Uh, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He's just going to have to come and we're just going to have to... Look, I want Jesus to come quickly. Don't misunderstand me. And when He comes, He will set everything right. Until He does come, everything is going to be wrong. But let me say this. That is not license for us to sit back with our arms crossed watching the world fall to pieces. We need to stand up for the truth and we need to make the decision, I'm going to live for God and I'm going to use whatever influence I have to influence others to live for God. That's what Joshua and his generation did. I know they did that. I know they made that decision. And because of that decision, they were able to influence their generation for the Lord. We can make a difference. I know I know, because we all are consumers of media today that we're told, I don't care which kind of media you consume, right wing, left wing, if you think it's fair and balanced, whatever, we're all told the same thing, you know. That the powers that be are really just, they're going to do whatever they're going to do. It's the deep state that's calling all the shots, you know. Oh, and there's voter fraud, so what's the point of voting? Said, I thought you weren't going to get political. Well, I'm sorry. The message kind of overlapped this morning. (laughs) Turn to Joshua chapter 24, if you would please. Joshua 24. It is possible to impact our generation for good and to use whatever influence we have to influence people to serve God. You cannot guarantee how long that influence might last because you can't even guarantee how long you might last. But we can choose to do what is right and be a force for good in our generation. I said a moment ago that I know Joshua chose to be a force for good, to use his influence to influence others to serve God. And I know that because of what he said in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, verse number 15 is probably a very familiar verse to you. But I want to back up just a a couple verses here. Look with me at verse number... Verse number 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. 
And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There it was. There was Joshua's declaration. He said, for me, I'm going to serve God. And for my house, we will serve the Lord. What gave Joshua the right to speak for his wife and his children? Think about that a moment. How could he, in such audacity and brazenness, say, we will serve the Lord? You know, I'm afraid that if Joshua had have been giving this speech in 2022, influenced by the uh, feminist movement and the effeminate culture of America, I'm afraid that he might have said, well, I'm going to serve God, but you know, my wife and kids will just have to make their own decision. What gave him the right to speak for them? I'll tell you. It's not what, it's a who. God gave him the right. Because God appointed the man to be the leader of the home. Husband is the head of the wife. The father is the head of the children. Of course, the mother has the authority in the home as well as as delineated by God. But it is the man who bears the brunt of the responsibility. And therefore, it is the man who has the majority of the authority. And he said, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. You know what we need today? We don't need more politicians that are one wing or the other. We don't need school boards being overturned to a different political party. You know what we need more than that? We need a generation of Joshua's. We need men... Husbands, dads, who will stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, that's how Joshua and those men who served with him were able to influence their generation for good. It's not because they had an epic YouTube channel. It's not because they were eloquent speakers. It's not because they were gifted writers. It's not because they had a syndicated radio show. It's because each of them made an individual and a family choice. We're going to serve God. And so that all the days that they lived, Israel served the Lord. These men had a tremendous influence on an entire culture because they chose to serve God. Joshua 24, verse 31 here says, And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that that overlived Joshua, which had known the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. Same thing is recorded in in Judges chapter 2. You know, we, we say that we are troubled by the direction of our country, and you ought to be. We say that we're worried about the future for our children and our grandchildren. And listen, I share that concern. Absolutely, I do. I know that my children, and I I used to hear this when I was a teen, and now I'm saying it now that I have teens. Uh, My children are facing things that I never thought I would have to face. They're growing up in a world where 
things that are just clearly called an abomination by the Lord, that are wicked, uh, that the world says is right and are normal, even more so than when I was growing up and when many of you were growing up. I share your concern. But are we sorry enough to do what the Israelites did? What did they do? Number one, they repented of their own sin. They repented of their own sin. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, you cannot expect your child or your grandchild to live a holy life and be right with God if you're not willing to be holy and be right with God yourself. How can you influence them for good if you're not even doing good yourself? You have to be willing to repent of your own sin. Have we become so stiff-necked and stubborn and so rebellious against God that we can feel the prick of the Holy Spirit's conviction in our heart and say, no, no, I'm not going to repent of that. No, I'm not going to confess that. Have we so lost our tenderness to the Lord's dealing in our heart that we can sit under the preaching of the Word of God and have our sins so clearly displayed before us and say, no, no, I'm not going to deal with that? Have we lost our sorrow over sin? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We have to be willing to repent ourselves if we want to influence this generation. Number two, we have to be willing to rededicate ourselves when we fall to get back up and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to do what is right going forward. We have to be willing to stand up and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, the problem is, many times we are sorry over our sin, but not in a biblical way. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, actually. He said that there is a sorrow which worketh death. It's the sorrow of this world. It's when you and I are sorry for the consequences of our sin, Sorry that we got caught, but there's not genuine sorrow that worketh repentance. As a pastor, I deal with people from time to time who are genuinely sorry they're having to deal with the consequences of their sin. They sinned and life got hard. And they are genuinely sorry that their life is hard. And I will... Try to instruct them from the Word of God and say, here's what you need to do differently. Here's what you need to do better. Here's some choices you made in the past. You should have done this. You need to confess that. You need to repent. You need to move forward. And they won't do it. Why? They're sorry. It's because it's not godly sorrow. See, godly sorrow says, I'm not just, I'm not sorry for the consequences. I'm not sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry because I offended a holy God. I'm sorry that I committed a sin that caused Jesus Christ to have to hang on the cross and die. I'm sorry that I chose a sinful pleasure instead of honoring the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus by living a holy life. That's genuine sorrow. As long as we're just sorry because life got difficult, that's not going to cut it. We need a sorrow that works repentance. 
The hope for our generation lies in our willingness to repent of our sin and do what is right. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I'm, I'm almost certain that we all share the same burden for our world, for our country, for our children, for this generation. If you don't, if you have no concern at all, then one of two things is true. Either you have drifted so far away from the Lord that there is just hardly any warmth of the Holy Spirit left in your heart. Or number two, you've never known Christ as your Savior to begin with. Because if you know Christ as your Savior and you're walking with God, then the sins of this world that you see all around you should grieve you. And I know we're tempted to think, what can I do? I'm a nobody. Here's what you can do. You can influence someone to do what is right. That has to first start with yourself. You have to be willing to repent of your own sin, whatever that sin might be. As long as you bury it, as long as you hide it, as long as you excuse it, you will never be able to influence anyone else like you should. And then you need to rededicate yourself and say, as for me, and as for my house, that is anyone that I have any influence over, we will serve the Lord. There are some people here today, I, I believe you need to repent of some things. There's some stuff in your life. I don't know what it is. But there are things in your life, sins that the Holy Spirit has been, has been gently nudging you about. This isn't right. You need, to, you, need to, you need to stop. You need to confess this. And you haven't done so yet. And this morning you have another opportunity. How will you respond? With repentance or rebellion? Some of you need to make that choice. You need to choose to repent. Others of you, maybe with that or other people in addition to that, need to rededicate yourselves to the Lord. But all of us in here today, we need to be of this mindset. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So my invitation to you is to respond with one of those two ways. Repentance or rededication, and make up your mind today that as much influence as God has given you, you will use it to be a force for good in our generation. Father, move during this invitation, I pray, to glorify your name. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.